We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, let's not waste any time. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am. You're here for rapid fire. So, today is the first day in Jesse's summer whiteboard series. We are doing linebackers today. Do you have your linebacker whiteboard ready to go? I think so. All right. So, coming into a linebacker chat, there's a lot that you can get into, but I think that what we'll do is kind of stay to the basics of, uh, you know, what it means to be a linebacker. Like, obviously, you know, the first thing you think of is a guy who's relatively, you know, big, six foot, 220 pounds, kind of like the prototypical build. Um, you, You want some athleticism there, but ultimately it's not the biggest decisive factor. So, I thought what we would kind of get into is what it means or what attribute um, is the best when, in terms of playing, you know, linebacker at an efficient level. Key, key to top linebacker play. Yeah. Long story short, what is the number one key to playing linebacker? And I think a lot of people would say, you know, you, you kind of start immediately thinking about the physical attributes, but I would make the argument that your mental game and your eyeballs are far more important than any physical attribute that you can have on the football field. Okay. So what I tried to do here is color coordinate kind of what's going on. And so if the people don't have a view, I apologize, but I will try to explain it um, to the best of my ability. So right now I have the offense set up in 22 personnel. Uh, We'll just go middle of the field. So two wide receivers split out to the left, one wide receiver split out uh, to the right, or actually, sorry, this is 11 personnel, 11 personnel. Yeah, it's 11, 11 personnel, sorry, 11 personnel. So you have two wide receivers to the, to the left, a tight end in line and a wide receiver to the right. Um, And then you have the running back split out next to the, to the quarterback and shotgun to the right side. So, my argument again is that as a linebacker, the, the the number one thing that you have to do is diagnose the play. And I would say that this happens probably in a similar fashion to recognizing a fastball or off speed in baseball. Like it is a very quick process. 
Um, as soon as the ball is hiked, you you have to make you, your eyes have to be able to diagnose the play immediately, essentially. And if you if your eyes can't diagnose the play, then your instinctual habits of where you need to go are going to be lacking. And so oftentimes when you, you out there not necessarily trusting their reads or knowing what their reads are, they're going to be a step late. They're going to get to the play late and it's going to allow a play to because that's really all a running back needs is a split second in the crease of someone not being there in a team defense and they're going to be gone, right? Like a five, six, 10 yard gain almost immediately. So what I'm looking at here is Notre Dame would be playing basically a, a four, three defense look four down linemen. Um, each defensive end would be shading the outside man. And so in this case, one defensive end would be shading uh, the outside shoulder of the tackle. The other defense would be shading the outside shoulder of the tight end. Um, the position, the third linebacker in this in this play is technically kind of like a walk down safety or a rover. Um, someone who's going to have, you know, pass support, but mainly he's in there for run support because you have a tight end to that side. You have a running back to that side. So you need to have, you know, someone to this side essentially in order to, to help support on the run play. But the main guys that I'm looking at are the inside linebackers on this play. So if we're looking at the blue linebacker or the linebacker to the two wide receiver side, his read is this blue triangle that correlates with it. So he is reading between guard center and running back. And realistically the running back is your last kind of read. The main two guys that you're looking at are the guard and center because they're going to tell you, what's happening in the play. And if you can't get, if you can't diagnose what's going on between guard and center, or maybe they're not giving you enough, that's when you peek back to the running back to kind of see, you know, maybe, maybe these guys are giving you no, no sort of, you know, pulling guard or, you know, crashing down on the nose guard, whatever it might be, they might not be giving you something that indicates run. And so you kind of have to peek back to the running back in order to determine, okay, is what's going on essentially. And so, at this blue linebacker position, the first thing you're going to look for, okay, is is my guard in front of me, is he crashing down? And I need the right line type here. Is is the is the guard crashing? I did it again. What is going on? There it is. Okay. Is the guard crashing down to the nose or is the guard taking a step back and, you know, pulling whatever direction it might be, maybe to the right? maybe to the left. And so if, if the guard pulls, obviously you're flowing, you know, you're following the guard or center that's pulling. That's going to take you to the run action. And immediately you're communicating to the other linebacker, hey, pull, 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 pull. And you're starting to work down the line as a unison, you know, depending on it, which way they're pulling. And as you see pull, a lot of times you're, you're going to shoot down underneath it and try to cut that guard off or center off or shoot underneath it essentially to kind of fill that hole so that's that's the number one thing that you got to look for first is again reading through this guard center and running back kind of triangle and if those guys don't give you anything and i'll tell you the hardest play here is when those guys don't give you any action that probably means this big whopping tackle is crashing down and you as a linebacker have to get underneath that before he does and that that entails shoving yourself taking your shoulder into a 300 pound man that's crashing down on you um, <laughs> as quickly as possible. That was my least favorite read 
because I don't know about you guys, but again, when a big tackle is coming down on you and you just have to throw your body into it, it's, it's not the most fun time. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But in a defense where you you have to funnel the ball and you have to, you know, stay gap responsible, it's just what you got to do sometimes, right? You just got to suck up that guy um, and, and, and funnel the play to the next guy. So that's the blue side linebacker, the green side linebacker um, to the tight end and one wide receiver side. Again, you're working through the same kind of triangle, guard, center, running back and, and as soon as you see something on your side you obviously immediately have to you know communicate it to the linebackers next to you because that's again pulling guards and centers are like the the jackpot to linebackers it makes your read so easy because they're going to take you to the play most oftentimes like are there teams sometimes that you know decoy a pull sure but i mean that's like one in every 10 times like they're gonna show you where the play is going majority of the time so you read through your guard center and running back to diagnose the run play okay so say you go through that progression and you and you notice again and this is a, a one to two second read you notice that nothing is going on so immediately this blue side linebacker has to shift his eyes down the line at wide receivers because you have now diagnosed that it's not run and so you need to move on to pass. And so your eyes will take you. I've numbered these wide receivers two, one. And if anyone were closer, like say a tight end was over here, you'd go three, two, one. And immediately you have to get your eyes on this wide receiver because if this wide receiver, you know, maybe he runs um, a shallow cross underneath you. Well, you need to step up on this shallow cross, stay in your zone, and then eventually pass it off to the next linebacker underneath here, right? Say this number two wide receiver uh, runs a streak. Well, then your eyes have to immediately move on to the number one wide receiver and see what he's doing. Because if he comes into your zone, well, now you need to step over and help out on this underneath route, right? And so you're, you're immediately, you have to diagnose the route concepts to your side of the field. And, and it starts with the closest wide receiver and then works its way down, you know, to the, to the non-closest wide receiver. Um, essentially, and say both of these guys, you know, vacate your zone. Maybe there's double freaks, right? Well, that means something is going to work its way to you eventually. Unless they're running all streaks, this linebacker kind of has to eventually work into the hole, or maybe he he's keeping his eyes 
on this running back and seeing if he's going to come out into this flat, because if he comes into that flat more often than not, you have to be underneath it. And especially in man and a, and a man concept, the, the linebackers number one responsibility is the running back. That's going to be their guy. And so you have to keep eyes on that running back at all times possible. Um, so that's, again, that's blue side, uh, side of the field. Now, if we go over to the green side of the field, what you have to do with this tight end is since you are so close to him as a green side linebacker, and this, this goes for any pass route, but th- even more so for something like this with the tight end being so close is you have to intersect that tight end in a pass play and do everything you can to get your hands off of them and give them what's called a reroute because then that gives your safety and your Rover linebacker, the ability to kind of recover because you're providing them an extra step by knocking this tight end or whoever it might be wide receiver off of their course and allowing everyone else to recover. So, you know, maybe this tight end runs a streak, right? Okay, that's fine. He's vacating my zone, but I'm still going to get my hands on him. And immediately after I get my hands on him, I'm looking over to the next wide receiver to see if he's going to occupy my zone after the tight end leaves the zone. And so even though someone is leaving your zone, there's often a good chance that if they're leaving, someone else is coming. So your eyes have to immediately shift to the next threatening wide receiver. And so this is all, again, all in a span of, you know, a few seconds. Are we, we're looking at our triangle guard center running back. We're diagnosing, is this a runner pass play? Immediately, if we know, notice, you know, pulling guards, pulling centers, we need to follow that action and lead it to the run play. And then if we don't see that action, okay, then we've determined past and we need to immediately shift our eyes to this route concept and diagnose the route concept and figure out who's coming to you all while in the meantime, again, trying to do what we can to disrupt this first immediate threat of a route, get our hands on them and allow the rest of the, the covering defense or the coverage defense, the ability to recover and get to their zone um, as well. And this is, again, this is, this is why I think that your eyes and mental game and diagnosing the play is far more important than any physical attribute that there is because if you can't diagnose the play, well, it doesn't really matter because you're not going to get there because you don't know what's going on. Boom. Shabam. Good stuff. I hope that was, I was trying to go in a slow and steady pace. So I hope <laughs> usually I have a bad habit of going really fast. So I hope that that was uh, slowed down and convinced or condensed for the viewers. But again, the, the main thing that I was getting at, is the linebackers have to diagnose the play with their eyes before anything else and in a very short amount of time and yeah. a very short. And that's what my analogy was, is like, like as a hitter, you know, you're diagnosing fastball and off speed in such a short amount of time. I, I would say it's pretty similar as a linebacker diagnosing run pass and then getting your eyes, you know, if it is a run, getting your body to where it needs to be based off a of pulling action. And if it's passed, getting your eyes to the wide receivers and, and diagnosing, you know, whatever route concept is happening. All right. Good stuff. The whiteboard will be back next week with another position from Jesse. So fill in the blank. Lindy's magazine projects Notre Dame to play LSU in the Peach Bowl this season. It would be blank if that happens. It would be hmm, Peach Bowl. That's like the like the 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 new if I'm right that's like the new the new New Year's Six bowl game right like that's Mm -hmm. it's a New Year's Six. While my expectations are a national championship or playoff appearance, 
I do not think that there is anything wrong with a New Year's Six Bowl appearance as well. And at this point in Notre Dame's stage, it shouldn't be about appearances. It should be about winning the game because they made a lot of them, but they haven't really won many of them. So I think it's fair that they pro- that that's their projection. I think that that's ultimately what they should be considering their basement this season and their ceiling should be, you know, a playoff appearance. But anything outside of those two things, I, I think it's an unsuccessful season for Notre Dame because of, you know, what we saw here, the added talent at maybe some of the, the positions of weakness this season, um, on top of it being Marcus Freeman's second season, you know, there's just a lot more moving parts this year. So I would be okay with that appearance. But again, that's my basement in, in, in my eyes. Anything below that I, I think is an unsuccessful season. Yeah, I mean, I think we all think that this team is college football playoff worthy, you know, like they're going to be in contention for a college football playoff. So there'd be some disappointment. But, you know, you're playing LSU, you know, you got to run into your old girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, whatever at, at some point. Right. It, you know, it, it, it happens at some point. You know, it's it's happened a couple of times for Notre Dame in the past where you've had you know, Tyrone Willingham coached here. He goes to Washington. Notre Dame plays them. Bob Davey, you know, fired, worked in TV for a long time. He ended up at New Mexico, even though he didn't make the trip up here. You know, New Mexico did. But, you know, LSU, Notre Dame's played LSU a few times over the years and what, three different bowls, I think, since 2006. And, you know, you were thinking a little bit bigger picture, I think. There would be some disappointment because they're not in the playoff, but you'd still be in a New Year's Six Bowl. You'd be playing LSU, and you'd get that reunion with Brian Kelly. You know, I wouldn't have wanted that circus like this past year at the end of Marcus Freeman's first season. But hey, it's bound to happen sometime. If they're both going to be good, they're going to be. You know, there's going to be chances that they're going to play either in a New Year's Six Bowl or you know, in uh, maybe even in the playoff with the playoff expanding next year, like next year, not this year, but next year, if you're in the peach bowl, it means you're in the playoff. So, you know, that's not what it's going to mean this year. So there'd be a tinge of disappointment, I think, but you'd still at least be in a new year's six bowl and uh, you'd get that Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman matchup. So it'd be very interesting to say the least. Why not? Which conference is most likely to look the same as it does now, five years from now, ACC or the Pac-12? I'm going to go with the Pac-12. I think there's a lot of disparity still uh, with the w- what's going to kind of happen after some of these teams leave. I think there might be a still, still a little bit more of shuffling. Um, and, and the ACC really seems like, you know, they want all these things, but they're not realistic expectations or realistic goals. They have a binding contract. It's going to cost them a lot of money to get out of that contract. And I even think that even all the teams within the, the conference aren't even on the same page. You have some some schools that believe in, you know, kind of profit sharing, essentially, um, and other schools who believe that, you know, profits should go to the, the sports or the teams that generate essentially the most wealth and revenue um, in those regards. So I think the ACC has a lot to work out internally. Um, and I think that they're kind of locked in more so than the Pac-12. And so I think that you're going to see the Pac-12 kind of disperse more so um, over the next five years or maybe a greater chance of disbursement 
compared okay. to the ACC. So you you think the Pac-12 has the greater chance of of splintering off than the ACC? Yeah, I, I do. I, I thought what I heard you say initially was you thought the Pac-12 had the better chance to stay together, and I, I agree that the I think it's the ACC that has the better chance to look the same because you know, like I think we just talked yesterday. There's there's already talk about the Big Twelve maybe grabbing Colorado to come back in out of the Pac-12. And I think that, you know, like you could even see, you know, there's talk about San Diego State and SMU, whether they get added to the Pac-12. So I think the Pac-12 five years from now is going to look a lot different. I think the ACC, because of that contract you were talking about, I mean, it's been a year now since the whole – you know, college football world really turned upside down with UC, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. And that's when all this grant of rights stuff started coming up with the ACC, you know, for like, could schools get out of it, all that different stuff. And I think that if there was a viable way for them to get out of the ACC without literally paying hundreds of millions of dollars, somebody would have done it by now. Florida State or Clemson would have done it by now. I think so. I think the ACC has the better chance to remain intact for the next five years between those two. So we've been predicting season win totals and we've talked about Colorado a bit in the last week. Deion Sanders Buffaloes have a Vegas over under of three and a half wins. So here's their schedule for the upcoming season at TCU versus Nebraska at Oregon versus USC at Arizona State versus Stanford at UCLA versus Oregon State versus Arizona at Washington State at Utah. So, Jess, will Colorado get to at least four wins? Will they hit the over for the season? So I thought for this one, a fun exercise would just go team by team, see you, okay. we both go, you know, win loss and then kind of see what our overalls look like um towards the end so we'll start with tcu i start even though i'm I'm gonna say they're gonna lose but i think it's going to be a relatively close loss yeah i mean everyone talks about colorado's roster turnover there's a lot of turnover at tcu as well no max duggan anymore i agree i think it's going to be closer than most people think but i still think tcu ends up winning this game okay versus Nebraska. I I say they pick up their first win of the season against Nebraska. I think Nebraska, uh, Big Ten team, um, but, you know, they've been going through it as of recent. New coaches, a lot of turnover themselves. I just think they're going to have more talent by the time it's all said and done, and I think they're going to sneak out their first win against Nebraska. I'm leaning that way as well. They were only four and eight last year. They bring in Matt Rule. He's a better college coach than an NFL coach. I think, but it's still year one for him as well. I think this is really a toss-up, and I'll give the edge to Colorado since this is in Boulder. Right, that's how it's their first home game. Mm-hmm. At yep. Oregon, I mean, come on, that's an easy one. That's a loss. Yeah, Oregon, too good. <laughs> They're going to lose that one. USC, also a loss. Also a loss, <laughs> yes. Arizona so State, I have them uh, picking up their second W against Arizona State. You don't like the fighting Drew Pines going up against <laughs> the Buffaloes. I, I agree. Uh, I, I think that Arizona State, definitely their best chance, you know, for another win. Here. Well, like, 
again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a roster that's seeing a lot of turnover. You know, there, there's still considered a quarterback competition. Herm Edwards got booted last year, midway through yep, another they have head a new, coach. new head coach there. I just think that Dion's going to have a, a very athletic and competitive roster. It's just a matter of, can he have them playing team football by the time, you know, some of these games roll around. So yep. I got Arizona state win um, Stanford. Three and nine last year. Another new head coach. <laughs> you know, it's uh, at the very least, it's a it's a toss up. But I'll I'll give the edge to Dion here as well. <laughs> I picked. I, I I got a two win streak going here against uh, Stanford. It's another just, home game. Yeah. I just think that um, you know Stanford again another head coaching turnover. I don't think that roster is going to be in good shape. I think that Stanford has been fortunate with Jim Harbaugh. And then, you know, getting a good amount of what they got out of, is it Shaw? I believe is this David Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he struggled his last couple of years. So I don't think the new guy in is going to do any better than what Shaw did leaving. And I think Stanford is actually going to, to be pretty bad here for the next couple of seasons. I and so I think too. Colorado takes advantage of that and, and picks up their third win of the season. I don't know if Stanford ever recovers, to be quite honest. I, I don't either. Like Jim Harbaugh gave him the blueprint. I thought that the handoff from Harbaugh to Shaw, like there might be some drop off. It took a lot longer to see that drop off than I than I thought it might. Shaw kept that going for a while, but they really by the by the end of David Shaw's tenure, they were back to what they were before Jim Harbaugh took over. And it's it's a tough place to win. There's not a lot of interest out there. Jim Harbaugh went against what the rest of, you know, and, and Shaw continued it again, went against the what the rest of the Pac-12 is doing with a much more physical, you know, what they're doing at, at Michigan now, mid, you know, Midwestern style of football. And I just don't see Stanford being able to get back to, to that kind of winning going a different route. Same. So All now right. we are, we are three and three. Um, and we are going on to UCLA. I there's no chance against UCLA. Chip Kelly's no. offense too high powered. They'll run all over. They'll be Number they'll score six a lot of points. Team in the nation last year. Yeah. yeah. So that's a loss. Oregon State. That's a loss. I, I see a lot of people very high Close. on Oregon State this year. Actually, as like DJ Uyangalale. DJ Uyangalale. That's where he transferred. I didn't know that. Yep. That's I think that's why everyone is so hot. And they were they were a, a deceptive ten and three last year as it was. I think Oregon State is a dark horse for the big to 12. compete out there in the Pac twelve this sorry, year. I mean Pac-12. it's gonna be tough. You've got some good teams out there, obviously, between USC, Oregon, Washington, and, and UCLA, but I think Oregon State's gonna be in that mix with them potentially this year. All right, moving on to Arizona. This is where I have them picking up their fourth win of the season. I think no so real as well. reason. Just I just Arizona's not a football school. And yeah, they were they that, were a good running team or passing team rather last year, but they were only five and seven. And uh, so I'm I'm giving Dion win number four here as well. What about at Washington State the following week? No, they're not going to beat Washington State, and they're not going to beat Utah the week yeah. after that. So, but they got to four by our by our count 
right? It's it's funny because <laughs> we agreed on the same teams. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, these are the ones, like, am I a little optimistic? I think I am. But I think the ones that we have them winning, Nebraska, Arizona State, Stanford, Arizona, I mean, there's a lot of common denominator there, you know, uh, schools that are kind of going through it just the same as Colorado. And I think that puts them on an equal playing field. And to be honest with you, as much as, you know, Dion can be insufferable at times, I still think he's a great head coach. He's only proven results. He's going to get better talent here. He's cleaning up that roster. He's flushing out the guys who aren't going to buy into his philosophy and by the time they get, you know, halfway through the season, I think they're going to play more competitive games than not. I, I don't think you're going to see, you know, Colorado just get blown out by everyone. I agree. Uh, you know, I think that what gets the headlines is the massive roster turnover. But you've got enough other teams on the schedule with, you know, Coaching changes of their own as well, you know, not quite half, but you've got what four different teams that they're going to play. You also have right head coaching changes this year, and they've got questions of their own. So, I, at that know, point, I think the talent will, will just whatever team is more talented will win. And I know that Dion is bringing in, you know, these these recruits. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be tough to to root for just just based on the way things went down early on <laughs> but at the same time you know he he they weren't good at Jackson State before he showed up he's bringing his quarterback his sons with him so uh, you know again four wins you're not going to be lighting the world on fire this year but I think they'll go over that three and a half for sure Okay, fill in the blank. It's blank that Shannon Sharp is leaving Fox's undisputed debate show with Skip Bayless. It's hilarious that Shannon Sharp <laughs> is leaving, in my opinion. But it's such a smart move on behalf of Shannon Sharp. Like, it. I honestly hate that Skip Bayless is a Cowboys fan because he puts such a bad name and and just overall. Like when people like think of insufferable Cowboys fans, the the picture perfect person of that is Skip Bayless, right? Because he is just like the worst of the worst when it comes to Cowboy fans. Um, you know, and it, it just seems like this was kind of a long time coming. I, I, you could, in the beginning, I think that Shannon needed Skip. But at this point, I think Skip needs Shannon. And I don't know who's going to be willingly wanting to work with someone like Skip Bayless because he's just so insufferable to work That's with. Thing. And I think the thing that really tipped you know, Shannon Sharp is they had an argument a few months ago during the NFL season. I think it was before the new year. And basically Skip Bayless took a personal shot at Shannon Sharp because Shannon Sharp was taking a shot at Tom Brady. And he basically said, you know, Skip, how are you going to come at me when I'm in the Hall of Fame? I have Super Bowl rings, et cetera, et cetera. When he said, well, and Skip came back and said, well, you're not as good as Tom Brady. So you can't make those comments about Tom Brady. And I think it was at that point that Shannon Sharp made his decision that he no longer wanted to work with Skip Bayless. Because in a, in a TV show where it is just lighthearted and you're just kind of going back and forth, you know, that's the point of the show. And then you start taking personal shots at a guy for no reason that is, again, in the Hall of Fame, has Super Bowl rings, one of the best tight ends, one of the re revolutionary tight ends, you know, kind of paved the way for people like George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski. 
Travis Kelsey, like a true receiving tight end. It, it was just kind of unnerving, I think, for Shannon to to hear those comments from someone like Skip Bayless. Yeah, it's just more evidence that I don't think anybody wants to work with Skip Bayless for everything that you just outlined right there. He's just got one of those reputations, not easy to work with. I used to work with someone like that. Not a lot of fun because of what you're talking about there. You know, you want to debate topics, but you want to be able to keep it lighthearted and, you know, not have it go, you know, turn into to, to something that it doesn't need to be just because you say something, you know, like it, it, you don't want it to turn into cheap shots and, and all that. Just because you disagree. Because, yeah, exactly. And, the, and then what, what happens outside of that? Then it affects, you know, like you shouldn't have what you say on a show talking about sports affect, you know, what, what happens when you're off the air out in real life. And again, I've worked with a person like that. It, it, it ain't easy. And Skip Bayless has gone through a lot now at this point. It's going to be really interesting to see who he ends up with down there because, you know, again, I, I, the, the list is short. I saw they were talking about LaShawn McCoy. You know, I've seen oh, him. He's bad on, what is that, uh, Fox's speak. First, yeah. Yeah, speak or first things first or whatever it is. Yeah. Nick Wright, you know. Uh, why would Nick Wright want to go with Skip Bayless, though? I feel like that's just as <laughs> Derek. Derek is asking if it was Vince. It is no one on this platform. It's someone I <laughs> used to work with. Now it's just somebody that I used to know. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and you can draw your conclusions for anyone you know who knows any of my background. So uh, during college baseball's NCAA regionals last weekend, a Tennessee outfielder was ejected for talking trash to a Clemson base runner in extra innings while he was running in from the outfield. It prompted former Virginia pitcher turned analyst Stephen Schock to tweet, if we're tossing someone for talking trash, the ump should have to announce what was said over the PA. That way we can know if it's warranted (laughs) or not. Do you buy or sell that? So I, I buy that I buy that concept, but I, I sell that it should come down to that because in every sport, football, baseball, basketball, there's a lot of, you know, on uh, things that shouldn't be said in front of your mother, your girlfriend, your wife, et cetera, that are said between, you know, people who are competing against each other at, with, with high, you know, high stakes. And so I, I just think that, it's just so petty because if you're gonna if you're gonna throw someone out for that, then you, you then you're basically saying that there should be no commu- dialogue between players at all. There should be no banter between players. Right. It should only the only communications that you should have are between each other. Because where do you draw the line of what's too far and what's not too far? Because I, I like I said, I've been on plenty of fields. There's plenty of things that are said, and there's plenty of things that referees hear. And more often than not, they just say, "Hey." I don't want to hear that. If you're going to say that, yeah, yeah. that's right. Keep that between you two. I don't need to hear that. And so for the umpire to take the next step in a regional game between two, you know, high caliber teams, it's just, again, going back to the underlying concept that umpires think that they need to have more say in the game than, than what they do. Their job is to be there, enforce the rules of, you know, balls and strikes, fair or foul, et cetera. But when it comes to, you know, tossing guys out for just talking to each other or, you know, maybe having a heated exchange here and there. But it's not like they were even in each other's face. These guys were right. going by he each literally, other. This he was literally, in transit. 
yeah, they they showed a replay. The guy, the center fielder was just running in, and apparently, you know, I, I don't even know how loudly he shouted it. You know, he said something because the guy was still standing over there by second base. He never got up in his face. It was not confrontational at all. Look, what happened after the women's national championship game, you know, with, with Angel Reese? Everyone's talking about, oh, trash talk, you know, trash talk is, is part of the game. We had Muffet McGraw on. I've got this bird outside my window, by the way, who has crashed into this window probably 20 times today. I don't know what this bird's been doing, but. He's blind. Yeah. Um, you know, I had Muffet McGraw on after that women's championship game. She said, you know, she doesn't necessarily prefer trash talk, but trash talk is part of the game. You know, you know I guess by the time Angel Reese really got into her thing, you know, like the game was over. So it's not like you're going to toss her out anyway. But my point is, in basketball, at worst, it's a technical foul first, and then you shoot some free throws. Like, there's, there's no reason, you know, there was no actual fight going on there was nothing close to a brawl there was nothing like that it's just it's just over the top by these well, rabbit ear umpires extra innings as well like, like this yeah season. and it's like the heat of of what's going on in extra innings you're exactly right so i just unless these guys are like face to face getting ready to start throwing blows it's like come on man it's it's two seconds of him running by and saying something you know like they're going to their dugouts etc. This is a high state game, extra innings. You know, I'm not saying you need to warrant trash talking, but it's going to happen here and there. And say, and especially in intense games where everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is doing what they can to win. And I, I just, I, I just don't like it because now you're taking away a starter and a big time player for the other team in extra innings when it really matters the most. Yeah. Shytown, going back to what we were talking about with Skip Bayless a minute ago, says, bring in his old co-host, Woody Page. True story. Now, this has been, man, close to 20 years ago when Vince and I were doing a show together back on the uh, ESPN radio affiliate here in South Bend. This is this has been a while, but I had Woody Page on my show one day, and I asked him about Skip, and he said that Skip is the most miserable person in the world. He said that on the show <laughs> that Skip Bayless is the most miserable person in the world. So um, I don't think. So Woody's do we blame be... Shannon Sharp? Yeah, that's right. So I don't think Woody's going to be running to to do a show with with Skip anytime soon. <laughs> you know, Joe brings up a good point. It, whenever a, a, a you know a player they they berate an umpire in a bad call, you never see. And ump go up to a coach when they make a bad move and call him, you know, blah, 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 blah. I just believe, I just wish that refs, umpires would be held accountable after the game. I'm not saying they need to go up there for a 10-minute interview, but I feel like they should say, this is what I saw. This is what led to the ejection that is ultimately a game-changing ejection. And they can leave it at that. There's no more questions after that, but there should at least be a reasoning or rationale of why a player was ejected in a high leverage situation. I agree, you know, because the player who was ejected is potentially going to have to go answer to it either at a press conference. Well, then they also get a one game suspension as well on top of that. And that's, that's the thing with the NCAA when you get kicked out. Yeah, exactly. Is you get one more game, excuse me, after that. So it's like double indemnity, like, I completely agree. There needs to be some kind of accountability, but the NCAA will never hold these officials accountable. Well, that's the thing is I I just hate, 
you know, my least favorite thing to do, and this is when you know the umpire is in the wrong, right? Or the referee. As soon as the game is over, what do they do? Bolt off the field, mm -hmm. bolt off the court, well, and they're never to be seen again. But they also, you know, with all this umpire abuse and referee abuse, but this this is part of it, I think, because there's no accountability on their part. Coaches have to be accountable. Players have to be accountable. There's no accountability on on the officials part and when you're talking about yeah, college they, they sports get to, they had they get to have the most say and that's the yeah, crazy part they get to have the most say and they're being paid to be there you know it's not like they're volunteering to umpire or referee these gays they're being paid to be there so i, I think that they should have to be held <clears throat> much more accountable than what they are we will wrap it up with that tonight. Appreciate you being here, Jess. Good stuff with the whiteboard. Look forward to more of that next week. We'll talk to you later in the week. Smash the like button on your way out. Thanks to Tim Priester for being here tonight. And we will talk to you tomorrow on Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.